Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac, and I actually have had the incredible privilege to finish off our series on the book of James this week. This is actually part 16 of this series on the book of James, and the series has been so long that uh, it's been tough for us to keep track of what episode we're actually on. But that's good because the book of James is just so full of practical wisdom and practical encouragement and and honestly practical conviction as well. And so the title of today's message actually given by myself is titled Together. And in this conclusion on our study of the book of James of Faith That Works, I'm going to share James's final encouragement to the believers who had received his message. And so buckle up because we're going through a recap of the entire book of James and then concluding it with James's final emphasis to the church who he was writing to. And so we're praying that this message would be an encouragement to you and would challenge you in your faith. And so without further ado, let's jump into this message titled Together. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Um, As Megan said there, my name is Pastor Isaac, and I have the really, really cool privilege of being the pastor of family ministries here at Beartown Road, and so I get to work with a lot of your pain-in-the-butt students week in and week out, and then I get to work with, you know, your children who are lovely and never any problems there. Anyway, moving along. Uh, No, it is a really huge privilege to be able to um, week in and week out be working with youth and children and then families and marriages and that stuff in this church. So we are in, get this, part 16 of our series on the book of James. And this is it, everybody. This is it. Uh, This is the last week. And I was looking back this morning at when we started this series. It was April 11th when we started this series right after Easter. And I hope that it's been a blessing to you. But if this is your first week here, or you've only been here a couple weeks, or this is the first time watching online or listening to podcasts or whatever you're doing, however you're receiving this, it's going to be a really cool morning because we are going to start from the beginning of the book of James and kind of zoom out and we're going to look at the whole thing. We're going to look at the major teachings that James brought up and why he brought them up. And then we're going to look at his final encouragement to us as we look to apply it to our lives. Okay. So I want to tell you a little bit of a story here. Um, When I was in Bible college, like the first year I was in Bible college, I was getting ready to go to church, and I don't remember exactly what I was going to present, whether it was for like a Wednesday night, because we had like a Bible study there, or a small group, I can't remember, but I had prepared a teaching that I was going to give, and I was driving on my way to the church, and I was thinking of all the things I had prepared, because I had gone over all sorts of um, Bible. I had a bunch of Bible verses. I had studied it really well. I was ready to present it. We were going to talk about God. We were going to read scripture. We were going to pray. And I just kind of like was hit by this little bit of crisis because I realized I don't really know beyond just filling up our head with like knowledge, right? And just getting people to know more about the Bible or more about God. I didn't really have like a super convincing reason why I was asking people to pay attention to what we were going to talk about. And I don't even remember exactly what we were going to be studying that night, but I can really distinctly remember that kind of like bit of crisis that it struck up within me because I was like, okay, so what's the point of it anyways? Like what, what is the point of them learning about God or reading the Bible or praying why? Right, and I was just like struggling with this, and I know like there's reasons, right? Like, like, well, I want people to know God's joy or God's grace, but I didn't 
feel that like desire and need to like for people to really feel it. There was like that empathy component that was missing. And I, I rest, I'm like, why is this the case? And it just gave me a little bit of, of crisis. It kind of made me feel panicky a bit. And I think that sometimes we find ourselves in that position, whether it's with like a coworker that asks us about our faith or, you know, we're here in church every Sunday, but sometimes we just feel like, what's even the point anyway? Like, why do I go? We wrestle with understanding, like, is our faith genuine? What do we do? How do we live out our faith? And when we have moments of crisis like that, it can be a little bit scary. And sometimes it's like, okay, do I even really know who God is? Is God even real? Do I know what my faith is? is? Am I saved? Am I a Christian? Um, what about all these problems in my life? Does that mean God doesn't love me? And those, the list of those things goes on and on and on. And so that's why I'm excited about what we've covered in the book of James and what we're going to go over this morning. And so James actually looks to address two things. Um, there are two questions that James asks, and then he looks to answer. And it addresses this idea of crisis when we are struggling with our faith, we're struggling to wrap our heads around it. The first one is this, is our faith genuine? James looks to give us tools and resources to evaluate whether or not we have a genuine faith, whether we really know God or whether we just kind of know about him, and whether we actually know Jesus and he's kind of the king of our life or whether we're, we're fooling ourselves. Because the enemy's really good at tricking us and making us think like, well, you know, you know, we're in church every Sunday and that means we're good, right? That means that we're good to go. Or, you know, I do good things or I volunteer a whole lot or I give a lot of money um, either to the church or to different organizations, right? He's good at tricking us. And so James helps answer that question. And the next one, how to live out my faith. After you've wrestled with, okay, the genuineness of your faith, he gives you tools to actually live your faith out. And so as we kind of work through um, handling, and as James kind of works through helping Christians or helping followers of Jesus deal with some of that crisis of faith, it's, it's, it's really helpful how he phrases everything in the book that he's written. And so then we have to ask this question, why? Why does James write this anyways? And again, this was kind of like the, the thing I was struggling with as I was going to give this presentation. And it's the same thing we have to ask ourselves every single morning as we open up, every Sunday morning as we open up God's word and we teach. And even as I was looking over what we were going to be doing, which is overviewing James, we can look at all the scripture we want and read it and study it and learn about it. But the question is why? What's the point of all of that anyway? Because I could spend 40 minutes telling you what you should and shouldn't do if you're a follower of Jesus, right? But if we don't have an understanding of why in the world does God want us to be a follower of his anyways, if we don't understand those components, then we're missing the reason behind everything. And so here's what I want to do. Before we go over the teachings that we've covered in the book of James thus far in this series and round it out and conclude it this morning, I just want to read these Bible verses from the book of James, which is his argument as to why you should do things like control your anger and control your speech and be patient and trust the Lord in trials and in temptations and all those things we'll cover, okay? So you can just look up here and just read these with me, all right? This is James' arguments as to why should we be followers of Jesus. So let's read together. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, Ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. 
Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all of creation, have become his prized possession. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every way. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. He gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. And then lastly, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. You see, these are the incredible promises to followers of Jesus. And that is just what James wrote in his book, what we've talked about over the past 16 weeks. I mean, that's pretty exciting. Those are really, really wonderful things that he promises, that we can have peace, that we can, uh, that we can know God in a deeper way, that we can be honored, that we can be filled with righteousness or, like, or goodness, which is just this kind of sense of godliness and, and purpose and joy that's offered to followers of Jesus. And so again, these are the questions that James is asking. Is our faith genuine and how do I live out my faith? Is our faith genuine and how do I live out my faith? Okay, so get ready because we are going to go through the book of James pretty much verse by verse in about the next 10 minutes, all right? So here's the deal. If there was a particular message over the past 16 weeks that you didn't like hearing because it was just a little bit too convicting, you only got to deal with it for like 45 seconds as we skim through it on the way through, okay? So, um, you know, get ready for those like really quick elbow jabs as um, you go back over the message that you may have forgotten about that was so difficult and you wrestled with. Okay, first up. Uh, James 1, 1 to 18 deals with trials and temptations. This is what James says. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. We come about very, very difficult circumstances in our lives that cause us to go on a roller coaster of emotions. I have kind of experienced a lot of this personally over the past nine months. In last September and November, I developed some sort of like a seizure condition. And that has caused me to experience all sorts of 
ridiculous things in my life. For six months, I completely didn't have any independence, and this church was a huge blessing in getting me all over the place, either bringing me here every single day or taking me home, whatever it was. And in the midst of all that, as I'm struggling and wrestling with like the health implications of why is this happening without having answers, dealing with medications and trying to understand that, wrestling with God, why am I experiencing all these things? As my mind is just like clouded with difficulty. The truth of God's word is that if, if our faith is genuine, we will see those difficulties as opportunities to draw close to God. And when we draw close to God, that's when those promises of Jesus come in and fill us up. It's when we see that our circumstances that are hard are truly and genuinely blessings to people around us. And in the end, they, they bring about the very best that God has to offer in our own lives. And so for your difficulty, there's, there's a lot of pain out there right now, especially with the really recent flooding in all the different towns. I don't know how your heart's handling that, if you have people that were really affected by that, if you just know that it's a bad circumstance, or if it's health issues, or if it's financial fear and difficulty, problems in marriages, problem with kids. A lot of times, God gives us steps to start resolving those things, but in the meantime, we need to recognize that difficulty in our lives is a chance to grow closer to God. And if you see it in that way, it changes the perspective and really allows us to have peace and, like James says, endurance because it has a chance to grow. Okay? So next, James. James chapter 1, 19 to 20, talks about listening versus doing. Here's what it says. Uh, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. This is a really big one, right, in wrestling with is your faith genuine. Uh, James would go on to say that when we look at God's word and we see things in our lives that are out of place, we see things in our lives that don't seem to be in order, when we're kind of convicted that, man, there are some priorities I'm off on here, or I know that my language is out of control, or my addiction is out of control, whatever it is, when we look at God's word and we see those things, and we walk away from them and don't resolve them. James says it's just like looking into a mirror and seeing that you're all disheveled, your hair's all over the place, you got to put makeup on or something, you got stuff in your teeth, right? And walking away and not actually doing anything about it. That's how James says it's like when, when you're convicted and God is like, hey, you should pay attention to this. You should, you know, use more gentle communication with your spouse or be you know, more gentle with your children, or you really should be more committed to this thing you said you're going to be committed to. When we walk away from those things and we don't, it's kind of a chance to say, okay, what's up with our faith? Is it genuine? And it gives us a tool to say, what do I need to do in my life? Well, we need to be careful to listen to God's word and to obey what it says. And it's not just God wants to have control in your life, right? It's if we want those promises that James offers throughout the rest of his book, if we want to experience those things, then we need to address the things God wants to in our hearts. All right, let's move on. James 1, or sorry, James 2, 1 to 13, showing favoritism. This is a tough one for a lot of us because we are so inclined to show favoritism, particularly to the people who have something to offer us. If we think we can get something out of somebody, we are more likely to attend to them And we are more likely to show them whatever it is, uh, mostly favoritism. We're more likely to look for their time. 
We're more likely to spend time with them. We're more likely to, you fill in the blank. But when somebody doesn't have something to offer us, and most likely we have something to offer them, but there's nothing they can reciprocate, we're in a position where th- this, this is what God says is, okay, if you want to know if your faith is genuine, how do you handle people that are not as wealthy as you or people who are more wealthy than you? James really particularly lays out, he says, if you as a church pay attention to rich people who can do things for you more than the poor person who can't, then you're in serious, serious danger zone at that point. In fact, he says that this is where he says pure religion, actual religion, is taking care of orphans and widows and drawing close to God, right? And so how do we handle that? What is it that we do? Do we show favoritism to people? And so evaluate, think about your life. Is your faith genuine? Well, are you showing favoritism to the people around you? What do you think about when you see the person walking along the street that clearly has all sorts of problems? Maybe they're homeless or maybe they're into drugs, whatever it might be. What goes in your mind? Are you showing favoritism to people? So James 2, let's move on to the next one. James 2, 14 to 26, faith versus works. This is a really hard one. In fact, this is why James, this is why it took a little while for James to be um, looked at as like actual scripture because the early church wrestled with this for a long time because it may, James makes it seem like um, it tends to be works that has something to do with the way that we have salvation or the way that Christ accepts us or the way that we'll experience eternal life. But the reality is that's not what James says. However, James is really, really serious when he says, if you have faith, genuine faith, then that will come out in your life. If you have genuine faith, then then you will do good works. He goes as far as to say, as see, you see, it's not faith alone that saves you, but, but it's your good deeds. He uses the example of the patriarch of the Hebrew people. His name is Abraham. Abraham was promised by God that he would be the father of a great nation, and yet he didn't have any children. And years and years and years later, after God made these promises to him, after Abraham followed him in faith, after Abraham did these different things, um, God came to Abraham. He had given Abraham a son. His name was Isaac, who I was named after. That's great. So his name was Isaac, and God said, I want you to kill your son in sacrifice to me, which is completely outside of anything that God would ever stand for. In fact, human sacrifice in that way was horrifically condoned throughout all of Scripture. And yet God says, I want you to kill your son, in sacrifice to me. And Abraham says, okay, I'll listen to you. He waited decades of his life for Isaac to be born. And yet he binds him up, he puts him on an altar, and he goes to kill him. And right before he does, God says, Abraham, stop. Now I know that you truly trust me, that you truly have faith in me. And then God provided another sacrifice, a ram that Abraham could sacrifice. And James says, don't you see that it is his works that saved him, not his faith. It was his works that showed the faith that he had in God. In the book of Hebrews, which is a really, really cool um, 
uh, book of the Bible, there's this, there's this chapter in there, chapter 11, where it describes heroes of the Christian faith. And it says in there, or heroes of, the fa- of faith in God, it says in there that Abraham reasoned that even if he killed his son, God could bring him back to life. And so he knew that God's promise was true. And so because he trusted in the promise of God, he was willing to kill his son because it didn't matter because God was going to do what he promised to do. And so does our faith show up in the things we do day in and day out, in the deeds that we do, in the works that we do? If it doesn't, then we need to be asking ourselves about the genuineness of our faith. Okay, moving on. James 3, 1 to 18 talks about our tongues. This is what it says. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. We, uh, the message on this is super convicting for a lot of us because it's difficult to control the language that we use, especially when we're irritated or we're frustrated or we're worked up or we're nervous or whatever it is. But James says that, that your tongue is such a small thing, but, um, but it, it, it's, it's such a big deal. He compares it to the rudder of a massive ship or to a spark that can burn down an entire forest. He says that if you want to experience and inherit the blessings that come from being a follower of Jesus, evaluate the language that you use, what you say. Do you speak life over people, over your children, in your marriages, to your classrooms, to your coworkers, or to your employees? Or do you a lot of the time speak speak kind of like death upon them or anger upon them. Genuine faith, we wrestle with what, what, comes, out of our, what comes out of our mouths. All right, James 4, verses 1 to 10, worldliness versus godliness. This one is, um, is tough too. If you remember, which you might not, that's fine, I'll remind you. Um, this, the message that Pastor Dave taught was titled, Unfriend the World. And we kind of use this like social media theme to talk about. There are certain things that, you, that are worldly that you got to just get out of, whether it's TV shows that are explicit or vulgar or just kind of pollute your mind, fill your minds with filth that's tough to get out. And it kind of just, you know, fills us with not good things. Or whether it's social media, thus the unfriend the world. And he and I were talking this week, and it's like, well, you know, there's a lot of us that were like, okay, that's cool. I'll unfriend the world. And I'll actually go as far as deleting my Facebook. And then like three weeks later, you get a request from that person because they've made a new Facebook, right? Because they just couldn't stay off of social media. Um, and sometimes that's, that's what our lives are like. We, we walk away from the world, and yet we're so enticed to it that we, that we come back. And James says, Think about this. Like, is your faith genuine? Are you consumed with things that are godly? Goodness and mercy and showing kindness to people and speaking life into people? Or do you tend to kind of be self-absorbed and want to fill your minds with things that are just not godly? So worldliness versus godliness, controlling that. James 4, uh, 11 to 17, judging others. James says that when you judge another person, you're actually judging the very law that God gave us to love God and to love other people. That was, that was what Jesus summarized the law to be. He says, when I judge you, what I actually do is I set myself up on a pedestal to the position of God himself and say, I know better than God to condemn you and to judge you. 
Now, that's not talking about seeing something wrong in somebody's life and calling them up to goodness or calling them up to greatness or saying, I I think you could do better here or whatever. This is like a condemning, pushing down, taking authority over. Is that the disposition that you have in your life? Because if it is, what James says is to experience those blessings of God or those promises of Jesus, all all the convincing arguments that we read off in the beginning, if you're judging other people, that's a sign that something might be a little bit off about your faith, right? And so how do, we, how do we live out our faith? We're very careful to not look at other people and assume the authority of God and cast judgment upon them, okay? So James 5, 1 to 6, the dangers of wealth. James spends a good bit of time here. Um, you have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the days of slaughter. James isn't saying wealth is bad, but he says that it is dangerous. Because if you look at your wealth as something that is for yourself, you've earned it, you've done it yourself, you build yourself up, James says that that is is like fattening yourself up. For the day of slaughter, which is kind of like a disgusting image that he draws there, right? Like, like we don't really look at it that way. But if we don't see the money that we have as something that is designed by God to provide for you and then through you to bless other people, if that's not how you see your money, then you need to evaluate, is something off about my faith? Am I missing something here with my faith? And again, it's not bad to have money, but we have to be very, very careful because it offers in a lot of temptation for us to become really self-absorbed. Next one here. Uh, We're moving straight through. This is the second to last one. James 5, 7 to 12 talks about being patient. This is a tough one because we live in a culture That is about instant gratification. And whether or not, I don't know, it's just a matter of degrees how in the vortex of instant gratification we actually are. Because we all want what we want when we want it and we want it now, right? It's very difficult to actually be patient. But this is what James says. Be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall or for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. What James says here is that that we need to be able to develop patience. A sign of godliness in our lives is when we actively work on, have a desire to be patient. He uses the ultimate thing we're waiting for, which is for the return of Jesus. He says, listen, as followers of Jesus, the Lord is coming back. And so that's what you're waiting for. That's what your life is about anyways. And so be patient. When you're having difficulty, be patient. When you want to buy something because you saw it and you want to, you know, get it right now. He says, be patient, right? Patience is a sign that our faith is genuine when we're working on that and when we have this desire to be patient. And then lastly, all right? The last thing that James covers here, James 5, 13 to 18, covers prayer, faith, and healing. And we read that entire section earlier. Is our life defined by, you know what? I really do have faith that Jesus is who he said he is. I really am striving towards trusting him. I'm striving towards being in prayer to him. 
all those different things. We talked about this last week. What does that look like in your life? What does your prayer look like as you, as you, work, as you work after? So here's the thing. All in all, this is what James says. The entire book of James really is about this. Maturity of our faith. Maturity of our faith. The whole book of James looks to help us grow in our relationship with Jesus, wherever we might be at. If we're not followers of Jesus, he looks to say, you should be a follower of Jesus because the, there are incredible, incredible blessings surrounding those that are followers of Jesus. And so you should be, and here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. You accept Christ. You believe he is who he said he is. And then you work on your patience and you work on your kindness and you start to see your wealth as a gift from God. And you start to do do these different things. But here's the reality. Of everything we just covered, if you're feeling like, holy cow, that is just, I don't even know where to start here. Here's the deal. We can't do this alone. There is no possible way we can do this by ourselves. And this is why when we try to go at it solo in our Christian faith, we just, we veer off so quickly. Check out this list of what we just covered. Celebrating our trials, having actionable faith, not showing favoritism, faith producing good deeds, taming our tongue, avoiding worldliness, not judging others, being humble financially, having peace, and living a life of prayer. Like, whoa, check out this Facebook post. I think it's pretty cool. 99% of people don't have more than one of these disciplines mastered. I bet you won't share how many you've mastered. I score two. Place a star next to the ones you've mastered right? Have you seen this type of Facebook post? I got, let's see, celebrating our trials and not judging others. Um, it's this, this type of stuff. It's like, it's like crazy. It's like almost ridic- ridiculous to think that we could, we could ever tackle these different things. And that is where the last bit of James, James 5, verses 19 to 20, the final sentence of the book of James, this is how James caps off. He's like, okay, so Obviously, all of these things are overwhelming, and we can't do it alone. And so this is what he says. He says, my dear brothers and sisters. Again, he kind of closes it off with this softness and like with this this endearing attitude of dear brothers and sisters, knowing that he's just shared a lot of really good things, but a lot of really, really hard things to hear for them. Because remember, he's talking about our tongues being like fire that could burn down Um, entire forests. And he's talking about showing favoritism to rich people versus poor people or showing favoritism to people that can offer us stuff and not to others, right? Like these difficult things he's wrestling through. But he says, dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth, if someone just skitters off among us of a brother and sister in Christ, a fellow follower of Jesus. I think that this, this is interesting. The original word uh, planao means deceived, misled, fooled, mistaken, led astray, and then it means to wander. And that's the way it's translated here. In other words, what James is saying is this idea of wandering is like this deception where we're not in church for a little while or we're not in a small group or we're not a part of a Christian community and all of a sudden our view of God and what he says is good and evil just gets twisted over time. It just slowly begins to be manipulated and before you know it, you're just off in left field or you're, you're tricked into something or just slowly fade away. The enemy is the one that's doing these things. He's deceiving us and he's misleading us, making us think we're good enough on our own making us think we can do it, making us think that we don't need other people's help to 
follow Jesus and to experience all of these different things. I kind of think of it this way. It's like blind spots, right? When, we're, when we wander away from the truth, it's like blind spots in our lives. A lot of times we don't even, sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't even know that we've actually wandered off until it's really, really bad. But it's like when you're driving in a car and you see nothing in your rear view mirror, right? You see nothing in your, in your side mirror. And yet, you know, you look up, you look, you look to the side, you think you're good, but I'll just check really quick. You turn your head and there's a car right beside you. That's a blind spot. And there are things in our lives that are just like that. You think your marriage is going fine. You think you're doing good. You think that everything is, is, is good. But then somebody says, um, listen, the way you're talking to your wife is super harsh and super critical. And it's like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, that's a blind spot in our life. You can kind of kind of think of it again. Like, have you ever been beside a tractor trailer when you're driving on the highway? And you're just in that perfect spot. And they're kind of like to the line and back. And you're like, are they going to run me over right now? Or like straight up run me off the road? Right? You know, like, I'm in the blind spot of this truck. And it feels really scary to be in that spot. So, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back. That's what James is talking about. That when one of you is fluttered away, and then another one of you goes and pulls them back in and says, come on, you're wandering. Get back here. Come on, this isn't right in your life. You're complaining about your finances, and yet you just bought something you couldn't afford. Like, what's going on? We need to address this spiritually. We need to talk about these things. When someone wanders and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and will bring about the forgiveness of many sins. James says you, you, you can't do this alone. There are going to be times in which you are the one that is wandering away. And as you wander away, there's consequences that start to pile up on that. The difficulty connecting with God and our prayer life that's hindered. Maybe our finances start to kind of trickle down. Or maybe that we begin to have some health issues that are kind of unexplainable. Or maybe whatever it is that we, you know, we're wandering away. And what James says is you need to be there together to help bring people back in. To help save people. To help save them from death. To help them become forgiven of their sins. That's how he closes his entire letter. Just like that. That's the end. That's what he says to him. It's almost like he's saying, you see all of these different things? All these things that evaluate your faith, you can't do this alone, so make sure you're there for each other. And so then we ask this question, since we can't do this alone, dot, 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 what do we do? Let's talk really practically here, okay? What is it that we can do to help each other in this practically? What can we do to help each other? And as we finish out this entire book of James, what can we do to help each other and what actions can we take? All right? The first one is this. Be committed to Christian community. I really like um, Ox, the Oxford Dictionary definition of community. It says a group of people living together in one place, especially one practicing common ownership. That's so good. It's like we're, we're here, we're together in this place, and we own responsibility over each other, love for each other. 
love for each other's faith in Jesus, that we want to protect each other. We own this together. That's community. But on the personal level, you have to be committed to it. You know, like I, I love you guys. People around you love you guys. Your small group loves you. As a staff, we pray for you. We do everything we can. But if you decide, I don't want to be involved or I don't want to be there, you know, we can't really force you. We'll run after you as much as we can. But there's kind of a point where if you're not going to be committed to Christian community and then you're struggling and nobody's there for you, you know, like I said, we do everything that we can. But ahead of time, it's like a commitment that you have to make. I'm going to be involved in Sunday morning worship. I'm going to be there even when it's tough. I'm going to choose to be there. You know, I'm going to go to small group even when it's difficult. Small group signups are rolling around in a couple weeks, right? Are you going to sign up for one? That's a helpful part of being in community. I'm going to be involved in serving. I'm going to make sure my kids, no matter how busy their schedule is or what sports they're involved in or whatever it is, that they're committed to being in church as well as much as I can. That's a very practical step we can take, okay? Next is this. Pick somebody that can speak into your life freely. This is important, but it's kind of difficult to do because when we give somebody permission to speak freely into our life, it can be very, very difficult to receive. But we have to have somebody that is willing to speak to us without fear of our reaction knowing that they have recruited us to help them. For a lot of you, it can be your spouse or it can be a friend. It can be a spiritual mentor, maybe a small group leader, somebody that has the freedom. I mentioned these things before, but hey, listen, like you guys were over for dinner the other night and I just, it just seemed like the way you spoke to your spouse is just like out of line. Like, are you, like is there something going on? Do we need to talk about something? Or why are you talking that way or hey you've seemed really angry recently like what's up with that or hey you know we talked about some struggles with addiction that you've been having and there's some there's some warning signs here do you want to do you want to talk about those things why don't we why don't we talk but somebody that can freely and willingly speak into your life that you give permission to do that. A lot of the times it's a part of being committed to community. But if you really want to know the Lord, if you want to experience those things that James says, Part of protecting the integrity of our faith is people that, can, that love us enough that when we're the ones wandering away, they come and they pull us back. And when they're the ones wandering away, we have the courage to talk to them as well. Okay? So we can, be, we can pick somebody that has permission to speak into our life freely. Here's the end. Ask forgiveness when you mess up. It happens. We are all going to need forgiveness a lot, okay? Like a whole lot. We can't do this thing by ourselves, and we certainly can't do it without screwing up. And, and sometimes we need, may need to ask forgiveness of our loved ones, of our family members, of our friends, of our church even, of our small group. We might need to ask forgiveness of, uh, from God because it's really him that we've hurt. It's really him that we've not really angered, but caused him to grieve, right? Like you read in the Psalms a lot, which is like the, the um, poetry and the hymn book of Israel, this grieving of, I know I've hurt your heart, God. Don't wander away from me. I know I've caused you pain. We go to God and we need to ask forgiveness. But here's the thing, because of Jesus, forgiveness is there. 
Because of him, forgiveness is there. He died on the cross for us. He wasn't willing to even take himself down off of that cross. He went through horrible punishment and suffering because he simply wanted to give to us all of those things that James promised us. He wanted us to experience those things. And when we measure our faith, when we test our faith, when we, when we look like the book of James says to, how do I live out my faith? What we really do is we're taking steps with Jesus. And so this last slide here, um, the book of James, A Faith That Works, is about seeing our faith, evaluating it, knowing what we should do, knowing how we should live, knowing how we should go about our lives. I'm telling you, uh, even this morning, um, it took 15 minutes to listen, like on the YouVersion Bible app, listen through the entire book of James. And I would encourage you even to do that because it is just so helpful, so encouraging, and so powerful in our lives. As a church, this is our mission statement, helping each other take our next steps towards Jesus. Helping each other take our next steps towards Jesus. In doing that, we need to be committed to being here together as part of this community. We need to give permission for other people to freely speak into our lives. And we need to ask forgiveness when we're the ones that screwed up. And we need to offer forgiveness to other people when they're the ones that screwed up. All right, so I hope that this, I hope that this kind of overview, this recap of the book of James has been helpful to you. I hope that it's, it's causing you to wrestle and yet be encouraged that we're here together, okay? We help each other take our next steps towards Jesus. You don't got to do it alone, um, especially as small group signups roll around. We're excited for that, and it gives us a chance to really dig into this even deeper, to kind of dig our feet in and really drive forward with our Christian faith. So um, I'm going to pray, round off this series of prayer. We're going to sing a song about just this, what Jesus does to pull us back when we've wandered away. So worship team, you guys can come up, and um, I'm going to close this out in prayer. Well, God, it's, it's a privilege to have gone through your word and to have read through and studied through this entire book, and I pray that it is an incredible blessing to us that our lives are changed that we learn to evaluate our faith on a better level so that we can know you more. You can fill us with your goodness and grace, your mercy, your kindness, your, your peace. When we're going through difficulty. You calm the storm. And Father, that's, that's what this is all about. So I pray as we sing that we look to love you more, we would know you more, that we'd be encouraged and filled up with your love and with your goodness. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I am hoping and we are hoping as a church that this series has been challenging to you, has been encouraging to you, and has pushed you in your faith. And so remember, you can't do this alone. There's simply no way. And so be committed to being together in community, having people in your life that can speak freely into your life. And when we mess up, because we're going to mess up, ask forgiveness and learn and grow and move on and know our Savior Jesus more and more. And so until we're together again, I want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast.